0: Hello, and welcome to I Wanna Be Elated, our little podcast all about how we flip a bad mental health day and come out smiling. This week we're going to try something new. Mind you, we said that last week and it led into that crazy trip into the world of 1970s Doctor Strange, but fear not, this week's new is going to be much more serene. There's lots of topics we want to cover on the podcast, and some of them are quite sprawling and lend themselves to longer episodes where Fred and I go back and forth in a hopefully entertaining and interesting enough way. Hopefully. But there's lots of things that I use to help me flip a bad day that, as useful as important and as meaningful as they are to me, maybe they don't warrant a full-on 90-minute chat. Maybe they're just a quick and simple pleasure that I can tell you about in 10 or 15 minutes or so. And that's this. That's what we're going to try and do this week, a step back to a slower pace. First things first, why the name? Why stop and smell the flowers? Well, it all stems from my mum. And if you've listened to our other podcasts uh, or uh, my blog, To The Next Landmark, you'll know how important both my parents were to me. Mum would always find the good in each day. She never went to bed on an argument and she made sure she treated herself every day. When I think of her, I have two instant memories. The first of which is her in the kitchen early in the morning, drinking a coffee and watching the birds in the garden. The other is that she would always stop and smell the flowers whenever she passed some. Even when dementia had a firm grip on her and most things that made her her were forgotten or lost, she would still stop and smell the flowers. It was the last little bit of her fighting on and letting us know that she was there. It brought her joy and in turn seeing her do it, brought me joy. So stopping to smell the flowers to me means finding the time to engage with the simple things that make me happy. It might be anything, a type of food, a drink, a song, a scene from a film or a passage in a book. Or like this week, it might be a place. I was lucky enough to be born and spend most of my life living on the south coast of England. Apart from a few years living away at university and following the wrong girl around the country, I have always had a beach within 30 minutes of where I live. It's been a constant that I've used in a variety of different ways, but for the past 15 years or so, it's been somewhere that steadies me, slows a busy mind and senses me, and best of all, it makes me feel happy and safe and content. Now this can be any beach it doesn't have to be one that you know i I know particularly well as long as i'm by the shore and there's sand and there's sea i'm happy but in this episode i just want to talk to you about a stretch of coastline that i know very well and means a lot to me and that would be the beach at bournemouth or rather the stretch from mudderford spit down to down to Sandbanks, a lovely bit of, of coastline that we have here right now the beach is around a 10 minute drive or a 30 minute walk from my flat in bournemouth It doesn't take me long to leave the hectic pace and wonderful chaos of our crazy little neighbourhood and to start to smell the sea and hear the waves crashing and fill that open space. There's over 10 miles of uninterrupted coastline from Muddyford Spit down to the Sandbanks Ferry. But as a child, making sandcastles on the beach and burying my dad in the sand, it felt huge. Each groin had enough space that I could run around and be entertained all day. But now, as an adult, it feels smaller. It's no less beautiful, no less peaceful. There's just not enough of it. I wish it went on forever and that I could spend the rest of my days walking on the sand with the waves washing over my feet and the sun keeping me warm. The beaches often reflected back to me, my stage in life and my mental state. As a child, it was a place of excitement, a place of fun, I mean, who couldn't love the beach as a kid? There was swimming, there were sandcastles, there were ball games. You could dig massive holes and no one cared. I mean, try doing that in your back garden. You might get an ice cream, mum liked a feast, dad liked a strawberry split, which meant I did too, but my real favourite was a 99. I was never allowed the strawberry or chocolate sauce though, and to this day I always feel really decadent if I have a 99 with the sauce. Most childhood trips to the beach started early to avoid the traffic rush, or that was the plan anyway, but we'd always be late. My dad would drop my mum, me and my sisters if they were coming with us to the beach whilst he went to find a car park space and would see him who knows how many minutes hours or days later it would seem looking flustered as he'd be looking for us i always seem to remember him carrying the green cool box that mum and dad had for decades always filled with sandwiches and snacks and pop for the kids and there was no way he'd be paying the beach kiosk price for food well not until he wanted one of those ice creams anyway and i seem to remember him bringing a windbreaker and footballs and bats and rackets too though if i'm honest i I don't know if we did actually have a windbreaker, I think that's something I've probably imagined and made up as the years have gone by. I remember that we had a bowl set, one of those heavy plastic ones for kids, you know, the four different coloured balls. And for some reason I thought that was a four pack of cricket balls, which probably tells you all you need to know about my relationship with sport. The way I remember it is dad would be charged with finding a car park space and lugging the heavy kit from the car Mum would be responsible for getting the kids to the beach and we in turn would be responsible for bringing in any toy or game that wasn't a ball or something to hit a ball. We felt dead posh when one of the family friends had a beach hut down at Sandbanks. What a luxury that was. I don't know if they owned it, if they rented it for a season, but I do remember we had to cut the fun short as I managed to step on broken glass and started to bleed all over the place. That said, my memories of the beach as a child, like my childhood in general as a whole, were filled with happiness. But as a young, awkward teenager, I already went to the beach. Those years were too busy listening to punk and metal, playing Sega and Nintendo, and trying to learn the electric guitar and read comic books. Besides, I would have had to have got the bus to the beach and that was a pain from the village that I lived in. I mean, I could have asked my parents to drop me there, but oh, that would have been so embarrassing as a teenager, right? Into my late teens and early adulthood, I still avoided the beach if I could. It became a place that made me anxious. Or rather, the idea of parading around and just me swimmers made me anxious. For most of my childhood, I carried around a few extra pounds. If you were being nice, you could say I had some puppy fat, but maybe for a while I had the whole dog too. Or so it felt, and a few of the other kids told me so anyway. In my teens, I stopped eating a lot of food, really. Not full-on desperate, but I became super fussy, and I... Maybe had a cup of tea at breakfast, can of iron brew at lunch on a very good day. This might be accompanied by an apple or a bag of cheese and onion walkers. And then my tea, probably of which I'd eat half of. And as such, I'd shed some weight, quite a lot of weight, but not in a good and healthy way. I went from some older kids at primary school telling me I had a fat ass and I was chunky and making me do the truffle shuffle and yet somehow The Goonies is still one of my favourite films, to my high school girlfriend telling me that I was far too skinny and bony to cuddle. It seems that even then, doing things in moderation wasn't one of my skills. Anyway, back to the beach. Being self-conscious that I was too skinny meant that I wouldn't take my shirt off in front of people. And this meant I was super pasty, which again, fueled my anxiety about people seeing my body at the beach. The biggest fear for me, though, was the marks I had on my shoulders and on my back from really bad sunburn I had in Florida from when I was maybe 12. I guess the sunblock wasn't strong enough and my back peeled so bad that it scabbed and left marks. Couldn't even put a T-shirt on over it for a, like a day or two. I was conscious of that, plus the fact that my back was the place where ninety percent of my teenage acne decided to break out. All of these things meant that I was never going to take my top off in public or go to a place where I'd be ribbed for wearing a T-shirt when everyone else was comfortable in their swimmers. Nowadays, if I go to the beach, I genuinely couldn't care less what people think of me and how I look. Yep, I'm middle-aged, I'm overweight, and I have an uneven tan. But if someone wants to sit there and laugh at me, then, well, they're clearly lacking some proper fun. And if you can't have proper fun at the beach, you're doing it wrong. And that's on them. One of the best bits about getting older is how little I care about what people I don't know think of me. When I moved back to Dorset in late 2002, one of the first places I went to was the beach for a walk. It would have been late 2002 and possibly maybe early 2003, early New Year. And I remember it soothing me and making me feel okay to have come back home after a bit of a messy breakup. In the early to mid-2000s were when the wheels really began to fall off of my wagon, I would say. I lost my way, and other than working a job that I hated, my time was spent really in bad pubs drinking worse beer. During this time, I was a bit of a stranger to the beach, and I was a lot worse off for it. Between 25 and 29 years old, it was a very, very dark time for me, filled with a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, there was depression, anxiety... A general sense of failure and worthlessness. I was overweight again from drinking way too much and I was stuck in a rut. As out of shape mentally as I was physically, with a general feeling that I wanted to be out of my own skin and to be someone or something different. I had some wonderful friends, but mostly I just couldn't tell them what was really going on. I worked at a place that was filled with people who hated their job, or at best just seemed to exist. Or so it seemed to me anyway. I was a spare part. My boss, as lovely as he was, was reluctant to let go of things, and as such, most of my job was done by him, and and it just accentuated that feeling of inertia. Then, one day, after another long day of staring at a screen trying to look busy doing nothing, I decided to go for a walk on the beach. I was angry and fed up, and I, I, I wasn't living life. I remember parking at Sandbanks on a side street, Salter Road. Walking through the car park and the beach huts and onto the prom, it's probably about 6, 6.30 and getting dark, so it must have been late autumn or early winter. And I stuck some punk on my iPod, because that's what you used back then, and I just started walking. First at a pace that matched the beat of the song. It was fast. It was aggressive. Then, maybe due to not having a lot of light, I could really feel the sea air. I could feel the sand blowing around me. I could smell the sea. In between songs, I could hear the waves crashing. I remember breathing deeper, filling my lungs with the fresh air, and I remember the tension in my back and neck and shoulders beginning to ease. I remember the sound of the song beginning to quieten as I focused on my surroundings. I don't know what called me to the beach that day, I hadn't been for so long. But whatever it was, I'm truly thankful for. For the whole walk, the bright lights of Bournemouth Pier had been a point in the distance. It's a busier part of the beach, no matter the time of day, and to be honest, it's not my favourite part of the beach. It's for young kids and tourists and families. It was a place I didn't necessarily avoid, I just wouldn't stay there long. But suddenly, it was no longer in front of me, but all around me, and it it felt good. It's around four miles from where I'd parked the car to the pier, probably the furthest I'd walked in years. It felt great. And then I realised I had to walk back looking out towards Sandbanks from Bournemouth, especially at night, is a lot more peaceful. I switched music to something more mellow and began a slower, contemplative walk back to the car. This time my thoughts were filled with a sense of gratitude for living near the coast, for the good friends I had, and a burning desire to make positive change. It really was a key moment in my life. I repeated that walk at least three times a week over a year. It was a coping mechanism, free therapy, and it was a planning tool each walk started with loud, aggressive music as I stomped out the day's frustration leading towards Bournemouth Pier, and yet it ended with a sense of calm and peace and a clearer plan for change forming in my head as I walked back to Sandbanks. I was fiercely protective of those walks. They were my time, and I rarely, if ever, shared them with anyone. I can think of maybe three people that I let walk with me, and one of them became my wife. Within a year, I'd dropped four inches around the waist, found a new self-confidence, quit my job and gone back to university to learn new skills that have filled my 30s and early 40s with some of the best jobs, experiences and people I've, I've yet had. I've also kept the best people from my 20s with me too. They were the ones that pulled me up rather than dragged me down. Now, life changes and people grow up and have families, etc., So I might not see them as much as I would like to, but I hope they know that I love them nonetheless, even if the weekly hangouts are now more annual or biannual, or in some cases, are a thing of the past. But all of that's okay, and I'm thankful for the time we had. If the last few years have taught me anything, it's that it's okay to let go. I guess what I'm trying to say is that those walks on the beach gave me the space to escape my own nonsense. If I hadn't taken those walks, I probably wouldn't have developed a plan to leave the job that I hated so much and to start a new path when I did. If I don't do that, then I don't meet my wife, and meeting her was a huge and happy turning point in my life, obviously. The beach didn't just flip a bad day. It flipped a bad life. Don't get me wrong, there were low points afterwards. I struggled after mum and dad were diagnosed, and especially after dad died. There were days where depression beat me down, and some days where it nearly beat me. Days where I thought Ellie would be better off if I wasn't in her life one way or the other very low, very dark points. There were some things I couldn't tell her, but getting to the beach helped me shift that frame of mind. It was like someone taking my hand and just telling me, it's okay. So what does it mean to me now? Well thankfully I'm in a much better place than I have been for a long, long time. We've obviously had the lockdowns over the last 18 months, and as tough as it was not seeing mom and losing her and trying to work through the grief, the lockdowns meant I had more time and more space at the beach. I guess, right now, it means a bit of everything to me, a bit of everything that's come before. I have fun there, splashing around with the dog in the sea and going for a swim with him. I get lost staring at the horizon, listening to the sea. I think of how old the sand is, where the water is washing in from, I feel my place in the world, and I am so, so glad to be here still and be able to share this, those beach walks with Ellie and Huckleberry, our dog. for years. I kept the beach and the beach walks just for me, but I get so much more joy out of sharing them with Ellie and Huck. Being at the beach centres me. It helps me to drop all the baggage and stresses that I carry, if only for a moment. It's probably my favourite place to be. So much so that when we go away we have to be near the coast, near the sea. If I'm too far inland I feel constricted, I feel claustrophobic and I don't relax. I need to get back to open space to breathe clean air, to let nature wash my worries away and to free me of the burdens that I carry. The beach feels like more than just a place to go to. It feels like an integral part of who I am. Being away from it feels like a part of my soul is missing. The beach feels like home. So there you are. That's just a little monologue, I guess, about how lucky I feel to, to live by the beach and, and, and to have it in my life and how I've used it to to flip a bad day and a a bad life, I guess. And I guess that kind of wraps it up really for this episode as you might be able to tell, I love where I live. I hope some of this has resonated with you or made you think about places that give you sanctuary. If it did, then please just go there when you can. You'll feel so much better for it. Thank you for listening to me chat away about something so personal. Much like the main episodes, each one of these will cover a different topic about the ways we flip a bad day. I'll admit I've been a little bit anxious about doing this one. After all, it's just my voice, but I hope it's okay. My intention is to do one of these a month and we'll release one bigger episode with Fred a month too. Hopefully that will strike a nice balance. Anyway, that's about it. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. Check us out on Twitter at IWantToBeElated, all one word, and our handle is Podcast. or drop us an email at IWantToBeElated at gmail.com and let us know what helps you flip a bad day. Thanks for listening and go and do something that makes you feel all sorts of giddy. And I'll see you down at Branksome Chime, 8am for walks, ice cream and a whole lot of splashing around, yeah? Yeah.